I'm Tommy Salmons. This is year zero. If you remember whenever I uh, did the quote-unquote rebrand, went from Stranger Encounters podcast to the year zero podcast, I had discussed um, the idea that the CIA had named one of their programs that were released in Vault 7 as Year Zero, and this was a a program to collect data from phone companies, uh, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile. All these companies were in bed with the CIA in order to feed them information, feed them your information to violate your privacy and your autonomy as a individual. But my, my real thing here, when, whenever I'm looking at what's going on is I have a real distaste for the national security state. I have uh, a lot of harbored, I don't know if anger is the right word, but just bitterness, just complete disgust with the intelligence agencies and the way that they operate. So we're, we're coming up on the, on the 56th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination will be November 22nd of this year. Um, Interesting side note, for those of you who don't know, The Who have a new album being released that exact day. And I know one of the songs that is has been released, a single that was released earlier this week that I saw on Scott Horton's Reddit page was uh, Ball and Chain and uh, just kind of a talking shit about Guantanamo. So I can't help but wonder if the entire album is, is meant to come out as sort of a middle finger to the U S intelligence community and, and the military industrial complex, um, the state department, whatever. But that's just kind of a side note. I just thought that was interesting. I, I wanted to, to look at some of the history of, of the CIA. And what got me thinking about this was um, one of the books I just finished for, I don't know, I think it was the third time. It's an audio book I have on my phone that I listen to every once in a while. But it's a book by Jacob Hornberger. It's not very long. It's called... Uh, CIA, the CIA, terrorism, and the Cold War. And one of the points he's hammering in this book, and it's it's a point that I don't even know if most people understand the significance uh, of this this idea, but he says that the two most dangerous words. In the American dialect today is national security. 
And he, he's got an interesting point. If you, you can think back just in our lifetime, um, and I'm speaking for people my age, a little bit older than me, but we can think of several times that you have the, the uh, director of the CIA or the director of national security or the director of the NSA or the director of the FBI testifying before Congress. And they're telling Congress, hey, look, man, we can't disclose this information due to national security. We can't tell you if we broke the law because it would violate national security. It would put the country in jeopardy. If we told you what we did to these people, the country would be in jeopardy. And we only did this, these horrible acts. We only committed these horrible atrocities. We only watched Gaddafi get sodomized to death out of national security. We only sent our our men, our special forces or our 18, 19 year old Marines or, or infantry soldiers into Somalia or into Afghanistan or into, you know, one of these shithole countries, as Trump would put it, to die. They only had to die out of national security. And, and it sucks. But, you know, the, the ends justifies the means. And if we have to sacrifice a million Americans in order to save 300 million Americans, it's worth it because the ends justifies the means. And it's a, it's a small price to pay in comparison to what we could have to pay, to what we could, could be facing if, if we didn't do these horrible things, if we didn't have these CIA black sites in these foreign countries where we torture people or Guantanamo Bay, where we lock people up without due process. If we didn't kill American citizens without due process, if we didn't put hits out, if we didn't assassinate leaders of other nations, if we didn't intervene in their elections... It would, it would violate our national security. It would put our, our country at risk. And one thing I'm looking at whenever I'm looking at this is this. Okay, so the National Security Authorization Act was signed into law in 1947. And what this did was... This created a fourth branch of government that is not that is not um, responsive to the people that or or elections. They are they are essentially from the get go they were elevated to a higher authority, uh, an authority beyond any elected official. In many ways, elected officials answer to them, which is why in, in, if you really look at American foreign policy, 
in our in our lifetimes it's always the same it doesn't matter what is said on the campaign trail it doesn't matter because these people aren't allowed that these politicians aren't allowed to come in and make changes because it would violate national security and because of national security we we don't have to allow these politicians to destroy the nation. The Constitution is not a suicide pact. And if we have to violate the law to protect the freedoms and liberties of the citizenship of this country, then that's what we have to do. But nobody wants to look at it on a micro level. All right. So the, the, the head of a household, the father of a, of, of a family, and if I have to violate the law to put food on my children's table, to create a better lifestyle for my family, then that's what I'm going to do. And under that, under that auspice, then no successful drug smuggler that has come out of, that has worked their way out of, let's take, let's take Rick Ross, Freeway Rick Ross, for example, then he's absolutely not a criminal because what he was doing was trying to create a better life. And if he had to break the law to do it, the ends justify the means, right? So automatically we can see that there's this two-prong justice system one for them one for us type justice system okay but what is this meant over the in our history since the establishment of the national security state since the national security act of 1947 what what has this done to the nation as a whole. And I don't like using the word nation, but just for the sake of this conversation and this podcast, I'm going to use it. So let's trace back the, the existence of, of national security. What, where did it start? What was its purpose? Well, 1947, World War II had ended, and we were just entering into the Cold War with the Soviet Union. By the 50s, there was the Red Scare. Anybody in the United States that was of any any intrinsic value, any importance, any influence that was considered to be a communist was imprisoned, they were tortured, some of them were murdered in the name of national security. You had, you know, Senator McCarthy and and the outing of Hollywood elites and politicians and just the ruining of people's lives for potentially being communists. And this was 
the number one enemy of the national security state was to defeat communism. In their minds, the communists would not stop until they ruled the world, until they had the, the ultimate empire ruling the entire world. And that if communism spread anywhere, it was only one step away from entering the United States and destroying the entire country. So in their minds, they had to do whatever they had to do to destroy communism. This led to a lot of paranoia in the minds of the intelligence agencies. They rumors spread like wildfire that the communists had perfected brainwashing techniques. And that's how they were spreading communism around the world. The belief was that the communists were brainwashing groups of revolutionaries in other nations into adhering to a communist doctrine in order to spread communism across the world. So therefore, in a, in a country like Vietnam, they didn't have to enter by, by force and, and to continue the Bolshevik revolution into Asia, all they had to do was find influential figures that did not like the government that was currently in power and brainwashed them into a Marxist-Leninist vision. And this was, this was what the national security state believed. This is what the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, JSOC, Naval Intelligence, that's what these people were, were believing at this time. And this led into, this is what started the MKUltra program. And though they knew that what they were doing in this MKUltra program was morally inept, it was unjustifiable, ethically, the ends justified the means. They had to do what they had to do to secure national security. They could not allow communism to spread into the United States. Now, we know hindsight being 2020, we can look back and say, okay, the United States lied us into the Vietnam War. The, the intelligence agencies, the military, the Department of Defense, the State Department, they lied about the Gulf of Tonkin incident in order to, in order to increase influence and, 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 and force and military use in Vietnam in order to initiate the Vietnam War and ended up losing the Vietnam War and withdrawing 
military from Vietnam. And in doing so, by their by their judgment, by their assessment, in doing so, in losing this Vietnam War at this time, we should all have been communists within 10 years. The, the entire country should have turned into this Stalinist utopia. It would have been the United States of Soviet America or whatever. But that's not what happened. I mean, we can look back, you know, some 50 years later and say, well, that was a ridiculous thought. That was a ridiculous idea that they had. And the, and the ends did not justify the means. Because what were the ends? The Vietnamese communists ended up going to war with the Chinese communists. Right? Like, it's like no, no two branches, no two strains of any ideology is, is the same when it's mixed between cultures. I mean, you have the North Korean idea of, of communism. And then you have the Chinese idea of communism and the, and the Soviet idea of communism. And the Vietnamese idea of communism. Shit, even the African idea of communism, if you look at what the ANC um, has done to that, that country since it, it took power back in the 90s in, in South Africa. So there's, these, there's the cultural aspect of how the communism takes place. There's also this idea of Ho Chi Minh was actually a true believer in Jeffersonianism. And the United States would not assist Ho Chi Minh in creating a republic in Vietnam. And as the United States began propping up the South Vietnamese government and putting pressure on Ho Chi Minh, he didn't have a choice but to turn to any ally he could find. Just like whenever the United States and Britain and the other Western European allies were entering into World War II. They entered into contract with Stalin to defeat Germany. And without the Soviet Union, Germany would not have been defeated. So, so Ho Chi Minh, in fighting for his life, for his, for his belief that, that the French had colonialized the Vietnam for decades... And they had finally run the French, America's ally, out of the country, and that they were going to have an they were going to be able to take over their own government, 
and not have this South Vietnamese French puppet regime and power and be able to construct a constitution around the ideas of the American constitution to take a more Jeffersonian approach to their to their country and they asked America for help and what did America do? They went and propped up the South Vietnamese and as the South Vietnamese and the North Vietnamese began to fight the Americans decided we got to get involved here because we got to keep the South Vietnamese, our ally, those that the, the puppet regime that is friendly to our interest that continues to enrich our people at the expense of the Vietnamese people, we have to prop them up. So Ho Chi Minh needed an ally to persevere, just to, just to exist, just to survive. He needed an ally. So he turned to the Chinese and to the Soviets, and he found allies in, in communism. And he adopted a lot of the communist line of thinking. But it wasn't an identical line of thinking. It wasn't a Bolshevist line of thinking. He was, he took his previous ideals, combined them with the good ideas he saw in communism, and he combined them together to create a Vietnamese-style communism that that would serve the interest of the Vietnamese people as he saw it. Whether he was right or wrong, it doesn't matter. It's still their nation. But the spread of communism, the spread of the idea of communism, as seen through the lens of the intelligence agencies is a threat to the American way of life as far as they see it. Especially when it comes to communism in South America. And in South, in South America, when Jacobo Arbenz was elected in Guatemala... The CIA was very upset about his communist views, about his more socialistic approach to helping the poor and to nationalizing uh, different industries and businesses in order to ensure equity across the nation. And so, in 1954, there was a coup in Guatemala under the auspice of national security. And during this coup attempt, two Americans were murdered by the CIA. And no one has ever been held accountable. No trial has ever been held for these two Americans. Because it was done under the ruse of national security. In 1961, 
with the Bay of Pigs invasion. They argued that communism 90 miles from the shores of the United States was a menacing threat to, our, to the country. And that Kennedy had to have done something. He had to allow something to be done. So he did. He allowed the CIA to take the anti-Castro Cubans and, and send them in to Cuba to engage the Cuban military and attempt a coup. It wasn't the first time that they tried to overthrow Castro, and it certainly wouldn't have been wasn't going to be the last time. But he did say at that time, we're not getting involved militarily. There will be no air support. And the CIA assured him, we're not going to need air support. Thinking that whenever the anti-Castro Cubans got in trouble, which they were sure to have gotten in trouble, there was no way they were going to defeat Castro's military on their own, that JFK would have no choice but to fold because he wouldn't want to be embarrassed by the operation. But JFK didn't fold. He held steady. He said, no, I said no air support. And the CIA was angry about that. And Kennedy was angry about that. And that directly led to the Cuban Missile Crisis in which Cuba struck a deal with the Soviet Union to bring in mid-range nuclear weapons onto the island of Cuba for Cuba's defense. And after the Bay of Pigs, the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the CIA, the Department of Defense, I think at the time it was still the Department of War, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. I don't remember when that change took place. Um, the State Department were begging Kennedy to, to go to war with Cuba, to strike Cuba preemptively. And, when, and, and in this time, when they were thinking of different ways different pretexts that they could use to convince the American people of war. This is when they drafted Operation Northwoods, in which they would falsify an attack on Americans or on American allies, anti-Castro Cubans, in, in order to give them reason to attack Cuba. Luckily, Kennedy never signed that Operation Northwoods document, and in, they, as far as we know, they never went through with any of these ideas in, in starting war. But we do know that every war has been started on lies because of national security. So... After that, when, when the Cuban Missile Crisis took place, the military, 
naval intelligence, military intelligence, the CIA, the FBI, they all blamed Kennedy for the existence of nuclear weapons, the mid-range nuclear weapons on the island of Cuba. They blamed Kennedy because he wouldn't go through with a preemptive strike on Cuba. Well, now it was impossible to go and attack Cuba because they would launch, the Soviet Union would launch these mid-range nuclear weapons. And they tried to talk him into bombing these missile sites. Um, Lucky he didn't. But their argument was, now that they have this nuclear technology right at our border, basically, right on our shores, 90 miles away, we have to preemptively strike Moscow with nuclear weapons. And we know that the United States will lose a couple of cities and a few million people are going to die. But this is a matter of national security. We know that we'll lose a few cities and millions of people are going to die. But we'll wipe out the Soviet Union before the casualties are too great on our, on our side. We can afford a couple of cities and a few million people. Because by the time we lose a couple of cities and a few million people, we will have extinguished tens of millions of their people in all of their cities. And it was a matter of national security that there's a preemptive nuclear strike on Russia or on the Soviet Union. And Kennedy wouldn't go along with it. And instead, he went into talks with Moscow, with Khrushchev. And they began working on a way to end the Cold War. Because Kennedy's idea, Kennedy's thought was, it... The, the national security apparatus, the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, all these intelligence agencies, military intelligence, naval intelligence, they're all fairly young at this point. You got to remember, this is, this is the 60s, so it's not even been 20 years since the signing of the National Security Act in 1947. So they're all pretty young. Most of the Americans can remember a time when they didn't exist. Most of the Americans in the 60s could remember, hey, look, in 1946, 1945, these things weren't there. These apparatuses weren't there. And we were living. We were fine. We won World War II. Like, we didn't need them. They weren't necessary. And so Kennedy believed that if he could, in the Cold War make a deal with the Soviet Union to go to the moon together that he could dismantle the CIA, that he could break them into a thousand pieces, as he was wont to say, because he saw them as dangerous. And after Kennedy was assassinated, 
for these reasons, in my opinion, because they they knew they had to extend the Cold War in order to extend their usefulness, to extend their life, basically, to extend their careers and to extend their power over the federal government. So why not assassinate Kennedy in the name of national security? The same way they did Mossadegh and Arbenz in the 50s. And so you had this after the Kennedy death, you had the the Cold War ramp back up. And you had Vietnam really kick in the high gear. But Kennedy's idea during this time was to end all of this, all of this nonsense. And in, in, this, in this time frame, in this period, when suspected communists in the military or in politics or in Hollywood were being arrested and tortured and murdered, you had a Marine with top secret clearance defect to the Soviet Union turn around, have the military pay for him and his Soviet bride to come back to the United States. And then two years later, he supposedly, as far as the Warren Commission is concerned, assassinated the president of the United States, John F. Kennedy. And we're supposed to believe that while all this is going on, a U-2 spy plane has been shot down six months after he supposedly, quote-unquote, defected, which he never actually properly defected, if you look into it. And then, and he said that he was going to give all the U-2 intelligence that he had worked on at the base in Japan over to the Soviets. And when he came back, he was never even questioned. He was never subpoenaed. He was never tortured. He was never arrested. They just let him dangle around in the wind, go jump on television in New Orleans and talk about the, the revolution in Cuba. They just let him do that right there in the middle of Intelligence Central in New Orleans at Camp Street. And if they did do it, and if that is, and if their narrative even half-ass made any sense, they could always just use the auspice of national security. Well, we knew what he was up to and the president had to go better him than us right in the name of national security and that was their 
a couple of episodes ago, I talked about Frank Olson. And that was their excuse for murdering Frank Olson, Olson, dropping him from a window. National security. Their excuse for testing drugs on unsuspecting victims. National security. Whitey Bulger talked about how they had tested LSD on him when he was in prison. He had written about it. And he talked about how they did it day, day in and day out. Every day. They were, they were dosing him with LSD. And he thought he was going insane. He didn't know what the hell was going on. But they did it in the name of national security. Because no one person, no one individual, no one individual's rights is more important than the safety and security. Shit, dude. Come on, lady, get over. Get out of this guy's way. Jesus fucking Christ. Sorry. <laughs> I had a cop come flying up next to me right on uh right on this lady's fucking tail and I was trying to slow down and let let her get over. I apologize. So, anyway, where was I? <laughs> uh, I'm going to see if I can't figure out how to delete that. Um, so yeah, they, they're willing to do anything, no matter how horrible in the name of national security. And it doesn't matter what you think your individual rights are. This is why Robert Mueller and Brennan have never served any time in jail for lying in front of Congress. Because everything that was done was done in the name of national security. Whether it's the FBI admitting that they had broken in and illegally searched over 4,000 private homes, whether it's the NSA collecting all your metadata whether it's the CIA performing coups or murdering American citizens. It's all done in the name of national security. And the problem is, all they have to do is say it. It doesn't even have to be true. A lot of times, whenever these things, you find these these memos that get declassified after years and you find out the only the what they meant by in the name of national security was we didn't want to be embarrassed we didn't want to be embarrassed by our actions and the outcomes and we've we've seen this here regularly the last couple of years with this Russiagate scandal. And every time they say something is in the name of national security, we can't, we can't release this because of national security. 
and then it's overruled and it eventually gets declassified, you find out that Peter Strzok is in the middle of trying to stop a duly elected president from taking office or some bullshit like that. They say that they can't release all the 9-11 information due to national security. And then the FBI and then the Congress decides, well, we're going to go ahead and allow the victims, families of the 9-11 attacks to file lawsuits against Saudi Arabia because we have reason to believe that Saudi Arabia was involved. So we're going to allow them to file lawsuits against Saudi Arabia and have it settled out in, in court. And the FBI comes in and takes orders from the White House to not give any information to the families of the victims of 9-11 because it could hurt relations with Saudi Arabia. And in the name of national security, we can't have relations, our relations with Saudi Arabia strained in any way, shape, or form. Last year, or two years ago, 2016, the court had ordered that all the files from the Kennedy assassination be declassified and released to the, to the public so that the public could read it. And the CIA and the FBI convinced Donald Trump that it was a matter of national security to disobey the court ruling. And it doesn't it doesn't matter what they do in the name of national security. If they claim national security, you end up with an Iran-Contra scandal. You end up with CIA assets running drugs, promulgating the crack epidemic in the inner city. You end up with people committing suicide by shooting themselves in the back of the head two times. You end up with all these unsolved cases that a lot of people, you'll, you'll hear people talk about the Clinton body count and this, that, and the other. And what's, who's to say that Clinton was not just a bystander in the entire situation? You hear about the drug running out of Mena, Arkansas. Who's to say that the CIA during this time, because this was during the Iran-Contra scandal, who's to say the CIA didn't find the easiest governor to work with, somebody they could blackmail for all the affairs he was having, all the potential sexual assault and rape he had committed, and they said, look, you keep your mouth shut, we keep our mouth shut. 
And he just turned a blind eye and let it happen. And in the name of national security, you can't know. And you'll never know. These, these are documents and stories that will die with these people because they believe they are doing it for the right reason. The ends justifies the means. They believe in the work that they are doing. So when people say, well, if there was a conspiracy, somebody would have talked. Maybe. But what if they really are a true believer in the ends? Then the means is just something they had to do to acquire those ends. Whether it's assassinating a president, whether it's dropping a scientist out of a window, whether it's keeping their mouth shut about the capture, torture, and rape of a nun in Guatemala in the late 80s. A subject they will not address, Sister Diana Ortiz. And she is pinpointed that one of her captors was in an American. That most of them were Guatemalan guerrilla insurgent fighters. But one of them was an American. Speaking Spanish in an American accent. And the CIA has acknowledged there were Americans in Guatemala working with the guerrillas. But they have not released names. Because it's a matter of national security. Sister Ortiz has not received compensation she deserves. Because they cannot acknowledge that they were involved in any way, shape, or form. Because it would violate national security. So as as we move closer, nearer to the 56th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination, I will be covering more subjects that are more closely involved with his assassination. I plan on doing an episode on on Oswald and what we know of Oswald, given the... uh, Memos that were released last year through through a lawsuit. Um, I plan on doing an episode on uh, Frank Sturgis, uh, Joannides, and uh, Angleton, and and David Atlee Phillips. And we will uh, we'll definitely talk some more about this Kennedy assassination the different angles, the different conspiracies, what people think, what I think, why I think what I think, and uh, who I think was involved. 
and we'll have a I have a little bit of fun with that subject because that's always been a subject I've been interested in. So thanks for listening to year zero. I'm Tommy Salmons late.